This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Kat Daniels. Welcome to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today with me, I have the honor of interviewing Mr. Drexel Deal. He is the author of The Fight of My Life is Wrapped Up in My Father. He is an ex-gang member of one of the most notorious street gangs in the Bahamas at the time, known as the Rebellion Raiders. He is an author, motivational speaker, a former Toastmaster of the Year, and Speaker of the Year. He has also served as president of the Disabled Persons Organization, which is geared toward the empowerment of persons with disabilities. In 2004, he spearheaded the largest training initiative ever done in the Bahamas to train some 21 persons with disabilities in two phases of computers. In August of 2006, Drexel was recognized as a high achiever in the College of the Bahamas President's Scholars Report for his studies in effective writing and human resource management, Welcome, Drexel. Thank you for meeting with me today. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Well, I am so glad that we were able to talk. So just a little bit for our listeners. I I stumbled upon Drexel's book because he wrote a quote that I use often (laughs) throughout the podcast about um, how storytelling kind of gives us a platform, basically, to learn from other people's mistakes. And he also wrote the book about how some of the mistakes that he had made throughout his life or, or choices that he had decided on was kind of wrapped up in, in some of the things that, his, that had happened in his life, including with his parents. So um, I've read, I, I honestly have not read the entire book, but it is an incredible book thus far and is filled, I love every second of it, um, and it's filled with just so many stories. So do you want to kind of give us a brief overview of either you can start with your life or you can start with how you decided to write this book. Oh, okay. So actually, uh, about the book itself, as you know, uh, uh, I was a part of the gang. Uh, I lost my sight in July, July 5th of 1996, attempting to rob an armored vehicle. I was shot four times and almost lost my life. As a, as a matter of fact, the doctors, um, uh, they deemed it a miracle that I even survived, particularly the shot to my head. The shot to my head, um, it was truly severe. And so uh, to the rec- recuperating process, uh, basically, I begin to, you know, when you lose your sight, uh, you begin to reflect. Uh, and I've seen it a lot uh, in reading books and even communicating with individuals. It's like, like some individuals, after they after they would have gotten sentenced to 15 or 25 years, during that time they begin to reflect and they begin to think, where did they go wrong? And so I did that same process. I'm totally blind, and I begin to uh, to think and and ask myself, where did I went wrong? And and so uh, in that process, I was not just so I begin to, I guess, do a lot of interviews because I was not not interested in learning why did I went wrong, but why did so many thousands of young men uh, in the Bahamas in the early 90s, and it was, not, it was not just an academic that was going on here in, in the Bahamas, but it was going on throughout the Western world, the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, and the rest of those places. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I began, it, it, a common theme keep coming up, the absentee of fathers. 
in that regard. And so uh, there's a, a, a Richard Carlson, the guy who wrote, uh, he's not the late Richard Carlson, Dr. Richard Carlson. He wrote, uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. But in one of his books I read, he said, the best way to understand something of value is to study its absence. And so I begin to study the, ab the absence uh, of absentee father and the negative effect of it. And it really devastated, um, I believe the Bahamas was, was voice hit. And we get a saying here in the Bahamas, when the United States uh, a sneeze, it's us in the Bahamas who really catches the cold. And so I began to look at our makeup, and ironically, I was born in 1975. Uh, in 1976, something rather unique happened in the Bahamas for the first time. Since we were recording um, birds, and it was the first year in the Bahamas that um, birds uh, outside of marriages surpassed those um, born into marriages. And some 15, 16 years later, we had a gang problem. And 90% of those individuals who made up the gangs were those uh, same individuals who were born in the, in the year of 1975, 76, and 77, and, and upward in that regard. And so it showed a real correlation when the breakdown of the home uh, begins in, in any particular nation, then you will have this uh, gang problem uh, thereabouts that will uh, always show his ugly head. And when you look at it, all it is is young men trying to find some way of bonding, some way of connecting. They're trying to find a family. Uh, thereabouts. And so that's what the book is basically all about. It documents uh, the birth of the largest gang ever in the history of the Bahamas, how did that gang came about. But at the same time, it talks about my own personal experience and the experience of others. Like one individual wrote me in the prison. He said, when I read your book, I started to cry because as you were telling your life story, you were also telling my life story as well. Mm. Wow. So that is, uh, if I could say it, is in a nutshell uh, what the book is all about, thereabouts. Yeah. So just to, to clarify, there was not, prior to, um, prior to when basically you and all of your peers had entered into the gang, there was not as, as bad of a gang problem in the Bahamas. Is that correct? No, it was not so much a gang problem in the Bahamas. I mean... Uh, different communities have always had like different rivalries, and it was mainly fist fights, and sometimes as a result of basketball tournaments and so forth, uh, thereabouts, or, or issues that used to happen to now, what we call our national festival, which is Chankanu. Uh, and different uh, areas uh, um, were supporting different groups, and it often, depending if your group lose, it normally lives, lead to some cheering and some hungry from fist fights, but that was basically it. Uh, but uh, when you talk about, like I said, uh, we get a lot of our influence from the United States, from the way we talk, uh, from our rap music. Uh, one time ago, reggae music used to be a, a real popular thing down here in the Bahamas, but rap music has more or less take up, t taken over. Uh, uh, they're about so the way we dress, uh, they're about, and so when you talk about movies, uh, also a lot of, we watch a lot of Western movies and times that come to the United States, Boys in the Hood, Minister Society, uh, South Central, and stuff like that, basically. And so those things had an effect on us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. And yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, in the United States as well, people talk about, um, well, I guess they used to talk about like music and, and the industry and things like that were affecting, but now they're, they're saying that social media has that same effect and and they're putting more of a closer eye or closer watch on social media and having effects like that 
and kind of using basically their powers for good or evil type thing <laughs> is mm-hmm. to look at it because i mean it 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 does have it's 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 influence no matter what um you know and and especially when you're a kid and when you're a teenager you're building all of your belief systems off of the things that influence you during that time because you don't really have yet a sense of or a huge sense of self um i mean if you do you're 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 very fortunate <laughs> um, and you're not, you're definitely not in the majority at that point. Um, you, was it while you were, it was it I, so you, I assume had begun to write this book after you became blind, correct? Yes. I wrote the book after I lost my sight. Okay. And I love also that you were, you helped train other people with disabilities for computers. How did you do that? Uh, actually, I stumbled across, uh, well, before I wrote my book, I realized uh, um, it was incumbent upon me to take up training if I'm looking to see gainful employment. And one of the things I was not good at uh, was the computer. And so I was looking for something to do for uh, class to take up for myself. And then taking up the class, uh, I got into communication with the owner of the class. And he said, listen, you're, you're just interested in this for yourself. I understand and I appreciate it. But I'm quite certain if you're interested as a person with disability, there are others out there who are also interested as well. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I just I was just happened to be the president of the Disabled Persons Organization. So he came and he did a, a presentation to our organization, and uh, and 80% of the mem- our members uh, 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 sign up. We went out there and raised the funds, and next thing you know, it, it was history. Uh, there about and so that's how uh, I got into the training basically. Uh, even though, even though I initially initially uh, sought the training for myself, but after the training began, I was the I was the the one who didn't take much, much part of the training because I had to now go there and raise the funds, uh, basically <laughs> uh, in that regard. But nonetheless, uh, I stuck with it and I'm pretty proficient now on on using my computer uh, there about. That's fantastic. So how do you, how did you write the book and how do you use the computer? Do you have different tools that you have to use because you're actually blind? Yeah, there's a software that, that a lot of persons in the Bahamas, not just here in the Bahamas, but it's widely used. It's called JAWS, or Java Active Systems um, for Word. Uh, and what it does, it's actually a screen reader. And so whatever is on the screen, it, it, uh, it lets us know. And so whenever I type with Keith, I'm typing something or a document. It let me know what, I'm, uh, what letter I'm pressing, uh, that I'm touching. Basically, you get used to it and you're able to type faster. Uh, they have, I'm able to surf the Internet. Uh, I, don't, I don't do safe uh, Facebook uh, that well on it. There are other persons who do extremely well with it. And mm-hmm. So it allows me, like I said, to type whatever I need to type. Uh, um, and the interview at first, because when I first started doing the interviews, it was a 10-year process. I didn't know how to use a computer then. Uh, mm-hmm. there so... I recorded the interviews and then uh, and I saved, I kept those uh, recordings. And after I became proficient with computers, I began to type out the interviews and also with the, uh, the assistance of my wife. Uh, she helped me type out the interviews and, uh, and they about to begin to put them uh, in, uh, put them to use as was needed there about. That's fantastic. Yeah, I would never have even known that that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you also 
speak as well and you were you've won you know multiple awards doing that do you do you travel to speak or is that um in the bahamas mostly so far yeah it's basically in the bahamas I've, uh the bahamas is something like uh 16 main uh, inhabited islands and they say we have uh well 700 different islands and uh, there are 16 inhabited main islands that i was tra i have traveled to uh basically but there's 32 inhabited islands throughout the bahamas and 16 of them have schools uh, there are about, uh, so I've traveled to basically just about every family island in the, bah in the Bahamas. We have a dress, uh, we have churches, or as well as school assemblies. And, and, and I use um, the, the mistakes of my past. Uh, there's a scripture voice I've come to love and appreciate. It's taken from uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 25, verse 12, that says, and I'm quoting from the Good News Translation of the Bible, it says, a, a warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen. It's more valuable than gold rings and jewelry made of the finest gold. And so I take uh, the negative, I take the, the, my bad experience and I use it as an example to help kids to appreciate. Uh, uh, rather than tell them what can happen, I show them uh, what will happen as we, uh, using my blindness uh, as, the, as that warning example thereabouts. And it's pretty effective. I've gotten a lot of positive reviews, not just from uh, the students, but also the teachers. I had a presentation on yesterday. Uh, uh, in connection with our Ministry of Social Services uh, and their parenting program on, on, the, on the topic of fathers make a difference. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah, my parents were divorced um, and my father was always tried to be involved. But I mean, even if, even if you have an involved father, I have found that, I mean, there can still be just unknowns and, and mistakes. You know, parenting is hard. <laughs> it doesn't oh, yes, it is present or not it's 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 just hard um there's no manual and and everybody every kid and every parent and every person is just so different um mm -hmm. you know and and there's no manual to to fixing people or or figuring people out even you know so mm. <laughs> it can be very difficult i i am a, a huge proponent of like co-parenting classes and parenting classes in general for anybody um all the time so yeah that's fantastic that you're doing that as well so mm -hmm. I know that you were you were shot and you became blind um, and you were obviously doing a lot of self-reflecting um, during that time. What what was kind of the thought process that led you to understanding that a lot of the issues that you personally had were wrapped up in the absence of your father? Uh, well, uh, when you look at it, uh, um, as I begin to write, and that's when it, it, it all became clear. I mean, reflecting is one thing. Uh, but then you begin to write and put it and put it on, uh, begin to put it uh, on paper, and you begin to realize, and a lot of things begin to come up. Uh, there about uh, to think about it. Uh, uh, at the age of five, I mean, I thought I had the best family life there was. I had a father who was there, a mother uh, who uh, kept the home running, and then one day, out of the blue, our father he decided that he can he's going to move on, and so he left my mother. I'm the oldest of three. I have two younger sisters, and so. My mother was 21 years of age, uh, uneducated, and thereabouts. And my last sister, she was just two or three weeks old. And so he left her, uh, and she had to hard go there and get a job as a waitress. There's only so much that you can earn as a waitress. And things were rough. But shortly thereafter, leaving, he came back. And he came back not because he wanted to resume the relationship uh, that he had left, but he came back now wanting to have my mother as a side relationship uh, thereabouts. 
And so she put her foot down, and I guess he didn't like it. Uh, I can I can only uh, surmise, but I don't know what he was thinking. I guess he said to himself, "Well, if I can't have you, no one else is going to have you." So my mother she tells the story that she was awakened around two, three o'clock in the morning because my little sister was crying, and for the likes of her, she couldn't understand why this little girl was crying. Goes out, makes her bottle of milk, only to discover the place was on fire. She got herself, and the neighbors were able to come put the fire out. My father, I guess he saw that that didn't work. He came back two weeks later and poured oil paint over everything that we own as a family. And it was at that particular point that my life changed. You're talking about a happy, fun, loving, happy child uh, who just went quiet and reserved. You're talking about a child who once had a love for education, who lost all interest in learning so much so that my teacher uh, pulled my mother aside and asked her what's going on with Drex. He doesn't talk, doesn't do his homework, what's going on? And so by the time as I was a teenager, I was not only reserved and quiet, but now I was angry. And not just angry because my father walked it out, but angry also too because uh, 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 some things that my mother was doing. And as single mothers, uh, they uh, have to be truly, uh, especially when they're dealing with, with young children, uh, they're about, they got to be careful who they're allowing in their, their children's life. Right. It, it cannot be a revolving door. And so forth, and so uh, and so, and uh, and it messes particularly with young boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when uh, every six months or every year, there's a new stepfather, there's a new stepdaddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there about, and so I became angry. Uh, at one point, we were living. Uh, my mother was living with a particular individual, even though him and I were not close. Uh, there about, but he was the best stepfather we ever had, and at the same time, she is seeing somebody else. And mm-hmm. the person she's seeing uh, is waking at, uh, with the, at her, waking with her at the same, on the same premises. And then I'm waking there part-time in the evening, and I know what's going on. Everyone on the job knows what's going on, and, and it's an, was an embarrassing ordeal. And so you talk about grade 8 and grade 9, I was extremely angry. Right. And all the anger uh, that I was holding up, not, not just for my father, but uh, what my mother was doing, and in grade 11, it just exploded. Yeah. And it exploded in school with fight after fight and eventually being kicked out of school. After that, joined up with a gang uh, uh, with a lot of other hurting young men and everything that went from bad to worse. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I personally have had to, in adulthood, separate and, and realize that there is a separate, um, you know, we, we always want to think of our mom as, as this perfect person. Um, uh-huh. who can do no wrong, <laughs> but uh-huh. even have had to to realize that there is a difference between the person that my mom is and the human being that she is even because she is a human being and she has, uh-huh. you know, trauma and she has pain and she has emotions and she has anger, just like, you know, any of us. Um, uh-huh. And sometimes that, that trauma and that anger can take over who you are and who you become um, versus who you may want to be even. Mm-hmm. Um, and can sometimes cause us to make mistakes like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, I, it's, I hope eventually that, you know, we can all learn that, that we should separate the role of the person that we believe they should be from the person that they are, you know, and realize that they're human and, and can make mistakes as well. And another thing that you said was that, you know, you were angry. Do you think that, that, your dad may have been dealing with some anger issues as well like that, that maybe he was, you know, from his home life or anything? 
I cannot say I don't know much about my father's uh, home. Now keep this in mind now. Uh, the in, okay, um, the last name that I carry is a deal. Uh, normally here in the Bahamas, uh, basically deals. When you hear the, the last name deal, it's normally associated with someone of a lighter skin color. I'm, I, I'm a typical Black African American male, and so uh, so he is not deal is not my biological father. And so the individual whom I grew up believing it was my father at the age of seven, I only, only he sat me down and let me know that he's not my father, but he will love me as if uh, I, I, I'm still his, his biological son. I didn't, I didn't meet my biological father, not until the age of probably uh, 15, heading into grade 11, uh, thereabouts. And I it was just, uh, just met him three times, basically. And so, so I was in close with neither one. One uh, walked out on me, who I thought was my biological father, or whom I, I still to this day refer to as my father, and my biological father didn't meet him not until I was uh, in grade, uh, I guess at 11, and there was never no connection, no bond uh, uh, ever developed there. Oh, wow. So did you ever confront your mom? Because you said that it was the, the person that you believed to be your father who's the one who told you this. Did your mom yeah, uh, told you? Yeah, after he told me, uh, two weeks later, my mother sat, sat me down to have the same conversation. I told her, uh, well, you know, I had this, this conversation with Fred Deal. Uh, he already told me that he was not my biological father, uh, basically, uh, thereabouts. And so apparently he met my mother when she was two months pregnant, uh, thereabouts. And, mm-hmm. and he decided that he was, uh, even though she was two months pregnant, uh, he was going to um, raise me as his own. But that only that only lasts until their relationship lasts. Because after the relationship is over, uh, he moved on with his life, and, and and that was it. Oh, I see. Did he ever know that you existed? Yeah, my biological father. Yes, he thought that I, I uh, that I had existed basically in that regard. But uh, he had some issues going on with him uh, with himself as, as well. And ironically, uh, he uh, uh, but two years ago he uh, he made he reached out to me. Uh, he made an attempt to find me, and we talked. I met him uh, um, personally, and and just and then after that, two months later, he died. Oh wow! Did he so, because he knew he was sick or something? Uh, I, I was it fate or not? I I don't know. Maybe he know he was about to uh, to die. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Thereabouts, and so it, just, it was just ironic, uh, basically. And you talked about. Uh, uh, almost after a 40-year period, he can decide to reach out. Not 40 years, but 30-year period, he decided to reach out to me, and then two months later, he died. Right. Mm. So did you, were you able to resolve anything with him within yourself? Did you have any, I mean, I don't know if you felt any emotions towards him about, you know, leave, I mean, you mentioned that he was having some things going on during his, or within his life as well, during the time that you were born. Did you ever resent or or were you ever upset that he wasn't around personally no you know i never vented uh because i guess uh i guess it came to a point where i just let it go yeah and 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 in writing one of the things i love about writing it's difficult to hold on to anything once when when you've already poured out onto a page so when you don't pose your 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 hurting your feelings your emotions uh, onto a page or onto something it's difficult now to take the back of it out off the page and put that still in your heart and, and hold some sort of resentment. I've let it go. And so what I've decided to do is focus on how best I can be a better father to my son, uh, thereabouts. And so, uh, and so uh, learning from his mistakes, 
learning from his mistakes made me more consciously aware of the things that I need to do to make sure that my son uh, 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 will grow to be a, a, a well-adjusted and balanced citizen and able to contribute to the, to the well-being of the Bahamas. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I am so glad that you were able to to turn your life around and, and do that. I mean, you're really doing some really wonderful things. And I agree with what you're talking about with writing. That's when I can't go to sleep, I keep a notebook by my bed. And when I can't go to sleep, I'll, I'll write it out. Or if it's my phone or something, I'll type it out so that I can get it out of my head and remember it for tomorrow. Because I'm always terrified I'm going to forget something is my thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I completely agree. Once it's out, out of you and on paper, then it's pretty much out. But. So he contacted you did you uh i mean i assume you guys spoke and, and had a good conversation right yes we spoke and and we had a conversation uh thereabouts but it wasn't as if uh uh it was uh i guess uh i don't know what to say i guess it's difficult to say well it was some sort of burden that was taken off my shoulder it was just a glimpse into a, a, a side of an individual uh basically uh whom I had some connection with and just never knew and even at the funeral I uh, met uh some other siblings, sisters and brothers and I mean he seemed to be more closer with them because he was married and they hear them crying, I'm sitting there and I'm feeling nothing and I'm saying to myself, I would never want to put a child through this whereby I'm uh, my I'm I'm deceased and my child is there and there's no sort of uh emotion no connection no 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 uh sense of lost uh so to speak in that regards yeah and you probably felt kind of uncomfortable even probably being there right yeah it was difficult particularly hearing uh your your siblings around you whom you just meet they they are boiling their they are boiling their hearts so crying and you just feeling nothing right yeah and trying to comfort them yeah for sure Mm -hmm. Whenever he reached out to you, did you, do you know if he ever resolved anything within himself or if he felt um, any remorse for anything? Like, is that why he I, out, I presume? I cannot honestly say, uh, no. but I met his wife and she would always say to me that he, she would, he would always speak about me. Uh, mm-hmm. they about, uh, even though I, um, both him and I were, were not that close and didn't communicate for years, right. uh, they are about so forth and even though i don't carry his last name but she often said that he will uh, speak about me uh thereabouts um but uh the thing that i've come to appreciate in life i mean it's cowardice to walk away from a child mm-hmm. uh, uh you just don't walk away from a child and and and, and i guess parents have to also realize this uh, because even the parenting class i i often uh, will lend my assistance to Sometimes you have two individuals and there the relationship is over and, and I mean, there's that raw anger and animosity. It's mm-hmm. not, you two didn't work out no longer. So it's not about you two. You now have a child into this world now. That you have to now put aside your personal differences and come together and see how what's in the best interest for the child. Because both of you have to be involved. Both of you have to be there. Both of you have now uh, begin to see uh, what can we do to make sure that this child, because, uh, because I mean, sometimes we tend to focus on all the petty little hurts and, uh, 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 and embarrassment, but the person who's hurting the most is the child. Right. 
whilst we bickering and, uh, and fighting, the child is the one who's hurting the most. Because the child, he's taking or she is taking it personal. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they feel as if they've been abandoned. Yeah, absolutely. And they feel as if somehow it's they they are at fault. Yeah. Yeah, about. Yeah. Well, and even if they, so, I mean, like I said, my parents grew up divorced and I never really felt like their divorce was my fault, but mm. there were multiple times where they were arguing with each other just about me. And I mm. never felt like it was my fault. I understood, I, you know, I was lucky in that aspect. I understood that it wasn't my fault, but I never wanted to have to choose between them multiple times growing up where I felt like I was having, or, or, I was being put in a position where I was supposed to be choosing between my mother and father. And of course, as a kid, your, your, your whole devotion in life is to your parents, both of them, and, you know, they're, they're the most important people in your life because they're pretty much all you've got, like from birth. <laughs> I, I wish that I could be more involved with parenting classes like that and just tell people, you know, the after effects, um, of what, you know, even just arguing so much in front of your kids, um, can do to them, you know, because mm -hmm. it's definitely something that's extremely important. Yes. I'm, I'm what you're saying. Uh, cause I, I know for me, uh, because when I was growing up at the age of nine, between the ages of nine and 12, it felt as if I was an unwanted child. And what do I mean by that? I, it felt as if I was unloved. Um, my mother, uh, she was not an emotional person who gave you hugs and kisses and so forth. And then mm -hmm. on top of that, when my father left, uh, he never used to sit uh, financially uh, thereabouts. And so she, therefore, she had to take on two and three jobs. And so it's never that. And I felt as if that connection, that bond that should have existed between a mother and her son, that was never there. Mm -hmm. And my father was not around. And there was a song, uh, the Beatles sang it in the early uh, uh, 60s. And a bohemian artist, artist also uh, sang it in 1975, uh, and it's entitled, I'm Nobody's Child. Uh, and the lyrics goes, um, like a flower, I'm growing wild. No mommy kisses and no daddy smiles. Nobody wants me. I'm nobody's child. And so that used to be my theme song. And then you feel as if you're unwanted, unloved, and then it leads to you making some poor and horrible decisions. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does. Can you um, speak a little bit about your, your time um, when you were with the, the gang members? Because you mentioned that you were kind of with other people who were also, it seems like they were all kind of seeking a community or some kind of support, essentially, like at the, the root of everything. So is that what you think was happening there? Yeah, because when you look at it, 90% uh, of the, the individuals who were part of the gangs, were normally individuals from single-parent homes. And then even those who were there, uh, who had both parents involved, yes, the father might have been there, but he might not have been involved. And I've come to appreciate in life, you don't have to be absent out of, out of, your, out of your child's, out of, your child's out, of your, out of the home in order to be considered an absentee father. You can be home and yet still absent in the life, or in the life of your child. Uh, there about. So, but here's a particular take, uh, uh, I had opportunity to interview, like I said, a lot of, in, I was not just interested in learning about how or writing about what I did. I was interested in learning why did so many of us went wrong. And, and in order to do so, I did, I interviewed individuals who I was once rivaled with, uh, gang leaders, drug dealers, former death row inmate. And one of them uh, who was the founding member of the gang that I joined, he said something to me that was rather interesting. And he said to me, uh, 
from time to time, uh, another gang member's sister, because they, they, they're now all out of the gang, mm-hmm. another gang member's sister would see him and say, look, why don't you, why, why don't you go visit Junior? Junior just stays now so all day and doesn't come out. And so he said one day he was off, he went there and he picked up Junior and, and they were riding around for a while. They went on East Street. And East Street was the area um, that the gang, um, where the nest was, so to speak, its headquarters. And he said when they went on East Street, and they was hanging there for a while, the guy he picked up, Junior, just broke down and started crying. Just started crying. And he had to take him home. And he said, no certain deal. I just feel it too when I go to East Street. Because even though we were doing foolishness, it was a family. Love was there. And that's what these, and, 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 and just hanging out, and see, males born differently, or males connect differently. A female, they can sit down and chat, and, and, and they're connecting. Males are do it more differently, and they, they can sit down together, and no one can be saying nothing, and that they bond it. Uh, playing sports together, uh, uh, when they go to uh, parties, and someone gets in the flight, and, and someone coming in someone's defense, that's a, a, a model of connecting or bonding in that regard. And so, and so these individuals, idle hands on their abouts, end up getting, because it was no constructive guidance, no, no, no true male leadership uh, uh, that could have directed them, they got into mischief that they would not, not normally got into if there was an involved father or an involved uncle around their abouts. Absolutely. Well, and you mentioned too that you can still be an absent father and and be there, like physically in the home. And I think that that's important to stress as well, because I know so many men who are raised to believe that they're supposed to go out of the home and work and provide, you know, money or provide this life for their family. But then they come home and they're so tired from working, you know, 60 hour weeks that they don't have any time left over to spend or any energy left over to give to their family or their kids. And I think that that's, you know, a whole nother epidemic that, you know, is affecting men um, specifically, you know, men are brought up to, to not show very many emotions in general, except for maybe anger, you know, is, is really the only acceptable emotion that so many people are brought up to um, believe is okay for guys. Yeah, what you were saying is quite right. Uh, uh, some years ago, after I lost my sight, I uh, attempted the doctor case because I was blind. They caught me red-handed. I knew there was no way in the world I was going to be able to win that case. And during the process, when I was hiding, I, uh, one of my aunts took me in. And she has a four-bedroom home, a house. And, and I was hiding in a, in, in a room that was directly opposite her master bedroom, where her and her husband used to sleep. Now, keep this in mind. And so for the three months that I was there, her husband never knew. And so he would go to work, come home, and he would take off his police uniform. He was a police officer, and he never knew that I was there. It was not as if he, uh, uh, he used to come home late after work or go partying. Each time he come home from work, he changes his uniform, he goes out, and he sits uh, uh, across the street him and three buddies, and they get a cold, a cold bear in their hand, and he's looking at and seeing what needs to be done in the yard. But he's more concerned on, the, on what's going on the outside that he had no clue in terms of what was going on on the inside. And so vice versa, as you indicated, you don't have to be absent in order to be an absentee father. You can be right. there and still totally absent because you're unaware, you're uninvolved in terms of what's going on the, under, your, under your very nose. 
Yeah. That's insane that he didn't, he never knew you were there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you mentioned a little bit about, I mean, I know nobody wants to like speak poorly on their mother or anything. And, and I know that there are lots of other factors um, as well. Like for instance, she was obviously a single mother and had to work multiple jobs during that time. But is there, are there any other, are there any things that you've spoken with your mother about after the fact and, and gained insight on? on some you know, uh, did looking, I mean, uh, when I've come to appreciate in life, you have to be honest. I mean, my mother doesn't like the conversation. Uh, my sister and I, uh, uh, basically, we can be, we could look at the situation candidly. And then some people, they make mistakes, and they don't, just don't believe it, own up to it, uh, uh, thereabouts. And so it was ne- it's never a conversation, a pleasant conversation. My mother, as a matter of fact, she hates the book, <laughs> uh, thereabouts. Uh, uh, but, but I've come to appreciate, uh, and this is even when I'm, when I'm speaking with young people, I keep it real. And I keep it honest. Uh, that I, I, if I made a mistake, my my whole interest in share that mistake with you is for one purpose, so that you can learn from that, my mistake. Right. Uh, there about. Um, we, uh, case in point, um, we immunize our children, and all the immunization is it it, it gives uh, it, it introduces a, a small portion of the virus uh, to, to to a child's immune system. So that, that so that child's immune system can develop a defense mm-hmm. of when they happen to run across that virus again. By sharing our stories and sharing our mistakes with our children, being candid about it, being open about it, it it, it now it, it gives them an opportunity whereby they can now learn from the mistakes from us and thus be wiser than we were when we were at their age. But if you're ashamed to own up to your mistakes, then what you're doing, you're depriving your children of crucial life lessons that you would have learned the hard way because because you don't want to share it with your children. You don't want your children to see you in a particular light. What you're doing is setting your child up to walk blindly into that same situation. Mm-hmm. And so when we, can, when we can get over our silly mistakes and get over our little ego, and, and realize you know, I mean, it's for the best uh, interest of our children because who wants, I mean, to be told, who wants to expose their children and to, to pre-expose their children to measles, but we know it's, it's for their best interest that they develop some, their body and develop an immune system towards it and vice versa by sharing stories with our children, our mistakes and, and, and mistakes of our other individuals, they themselves begin to think and they begin to, uh, to make vows to themselves, thereby they would, like case in point, uh, um, my father uh, used to hit my mother. I was young. And there was, uh, uh, my mother, she would talk about it, basically. And from time to time, she talked about it. It just made me feel bad because she used to say, only uh, my, my, my younger sister, Vanessa, used to get up uh, and tell my father, don't hit her. Now, I was I'm, uh, a year and a half older than Vanessa. I guess I was standing and, and, and just, I guess I was shocked. But yeah. each time she shared it with me, and uh, uh, I made up in my mind from a young age, that one thing I would never do, I would never raise my hand to hit a woman. And I've been in relationships where females got in my face and I told them point blank, if you hit me, the relationship is over. And this is before I lost my sight. This is when I was on the streets uh, in the gang and deeply involved in the gang and had some sort of, uh, uh, I was a, a general, so to speak, in the gang. But one, even though I was living a violent life on the streets, I refused to bring violence into any relationship that I was in. And it was all because of a vow that I made uh, when I was at a young age, after hearing my mother, uh, my mother recount from time to time how my father uh, was sometimes abusive to her. 
I learned a lesson from that. Absolutely. You don't hit a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I my mom used to tell me things when I was very young. I mean, like eight, between like eight and 12. But she used to tell me certain things about her life that she had learned. And, you know, even now when I share some of the stories and I tell them how, I tell people how old I was when she was telling me these, they're like, oh, she should have been telling you that at that age. And I'm like, well, but I mean... I learned (laughs) like Uh I I didn't make those same mistakes and I'm never going to, because I mean, much like you, you know, one of the things that I learned was I will, if, you know, I don't consider myself to have, I'm a, I'm a pretty passive person and, and things, people can say a lot of things to me um, and even do somewhat a lot of things to me. And I have the ability to, to overlook it or forgive easily, but I have been in many relationships where if, I mean, if anybody were to ever hit me, that would be the only thing I could not handle in a relationship. And I'm lucky to have never had to deal with that situation because I completely also understand the aspect of sometimes when you're in a relationship like that, it can be extremely hard to get out of it. But I can't imagine allowing someone to hit me and even forgiving them, honestly. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Might not be the best thing to say, but I, um, that's, that's my bar. That's my line. You, and and mm-hmm. once I'm crossed, I can't have any respect for you anymore. I can't, I can't even look at you, barely. You know, if you, if you hit mm-hmm. people and you're so angry within yourself, then you need to go be by yourself and figure out what is causing you to be so angry. And I can't help. And that's not something I can help you with. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And so this is why it's so important to be open and frank. I mean, and yes, don't talk for the sake of talking. Uh, because even when I share with students, uh, uh, my whole aim is whatever story I'm going to share with you, uh, whatever real life antidote that I believe that you can benefit from, uh, uh, it, it, there's a lesson. I just don't share stories for the sake of sharing it. But right. I share yeah. it with the point that there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here that, that, that I feel as if that you can learn from uh, on thereabouts and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's fantastic that I think one of your biggest lessons that you're sharing is kind of how to be, um, you know, a better father in even just learning from the mistake of, of your father or any father that you've had in your life kind of not being present. You know, you've learned from that even to be present and be a father and be there for all the things, you know, and I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you absolutely correct. And so you have to be involved and, and being involved you have to be there uh you have to sit down with your children and particularly boys you get a more or less i mean a lot of some boys i mean my son he's on the quiet side too and so you get a pry information out of him because he's not going to freely volunteer uh yeah. there about uh, in that regard and one of the things that also taught me to uh it's really amazing how sometimes that a bad choice or bad decision that you would have made in your youth how we can follow you for the rest of your life. Uh, right. Thereabouts, and talking about, I lost my sight at age of 21, uh, and it's been more than uh, t- close to 25 years now, and I'm still blind. And I remember my, one time when my son was uh, seven years of age, uh, he asked me, uh, Daddy, uh, uh, why did you do that stupid thing? <laughs> and when he said that, I'm like, what? What stupid thing are you talking about now? And so yeah. I asked him, what, what do you mean by that? He said, why did you attempt to rob the armor car vehicle? And, you know, uh, when he asked me that question, it, 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 and I totally agree. I said, Lowell, what you, what you said is absolutely correct. It was a stupid thing. 
and even in talking with him, I, it, it helped me to realize also to understand that decision is also uh, had a negative effect on him because I will never be able to take him out and play, and play basketball with him. Yeah. Or play baseball. I will never be able to teach him how to, like how my mother taught me how to drive when I was in grade eight. And so there's a lot of things I will not be able to do with him that other fathers are able to do with their sons and not be yeah. And so it, it led me into conversation with him, helping him to see exactly, uh, I totally agree uh, on, on what you said. It was actually stupid. Uh, in that regard, and, uh, and so it helped me to also deepen further, deepen further with him, help him to appreciate that sometimes the choices and decisions that we make, it can have a lasting effect on our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But that's something that you are able to teach him is that, you know, sometimes when you make decisions or make mistakes when you're young, it can, I mean, just like you said, have a lasting effect. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I am super glad you're still able to be there for your kids. You are exactly right. Also, that is, that was a miracle that you are even here. Um, You know, not people, not many people get shot in the head and are able to survive at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, because actually, uh, the night I lost myself, my my sight, to be honest with you, I really wanted to die. Mm. Uh, And to be fact, and I thought that I was going to die because uh, I was never into church. I used to only go to church because my mother used to insist uh, you must go to church. And so I was, I, I hung around the church long enough to know that if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And so I was living by the sword. I was living by the gun. And so I always knew that I was going to get gunned down. And, you know, I thought I was smart. And I thought my, my biggest thing was that uh, when I'm on the ground, several bullet wounds about my body, I just went have enough breath left in me to ask for good Lord for forgiveness and slip quietly into heaven. I wasn't living the life of a Christian, but sure, I wanted the end benefit of one in that regard. And so when I didn't, when I didn't die on that, that particular night, um, it, I mean, I, 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 it was rough. And, and for many years, I used to look on that particular date as the worst day of my life. But as time began to, uh, to go, I began to realize that was the best day of my life because uh, in not losing my not losing my life, God gave me a second chance, and this second chance uh, uh, to be able to help other young people uh, in that regards um, to walk away from that lifestyle. Because when you don't have no strong male figure in your life, it's easy uh, to walk uh, on a path whereby a drug dealer now takes you under their wings and nurture you. Or some gang leader takes you under their wings and nurtures you. And these individuals become your idol. They become your role model. And eventually you find yourself living that particular lifestyle and so mm-hmm. forth. And, and that particular lifestyle, I mean, it, it may seem to be glorious in the beginning, but it's a very short lifestyle. Yeah. So is that how you got into it? I mean, was did someone, you know, basically, was there a male figure that paid attention to you and, and probably was impressed by you to some degree and was like, Hey, come over here and I'll, I'll show you how this is done and we can work together. And, you know, he was obviously trying to build out his community further even and, and other things obviously, but is that how you got into it? More or less. It was how I got into it. There was an, I used to play basketball in a particular uh, area. And the guy said to me, man, like, if you can on this bar and you're by yourself, you need to come join us. And so I heard about them, and I went and joined them, and, and, and one thing led to another. Uh, I joined at age 16, and by the age of 19, I was one of 
the leaders within the gang thereabouts and so forth. And so that was more or less how it happened. Like you said, someone uh, uh, recognized, uh, okay, if he's carrying on this lad by himself, we need to bring him over here. And so could you imagine if that, if that was in, uh, in, in sports? Right. Uh, 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 something, uh, 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 something that is positive and constructive. Productive, yeah, Because uh, exactly. uh, even in my book, I talk about uh, the, the leader of the rebellion. He said uh, it was only through, uh, uh, through fighting with different areas, because uh, uh, different clo other close communities, did they actually get to know each other. And I said to myself, that same thing where each individual uh, getting to know different places in the community, that could have been done through sports. Yeah. And I believe it was LeBron James who said it best. He said that, that sports was his way out for, from a life of drugs, from prison, and a life of crime. Yeah. And so, uh, and so uh, cause, uh, cause at the end of the day, I mean, gang violence to a lot of young men, it's, to them, it's a sport. And they feel as if that whenever they want to, they can get up and leave. But you don't often, uh, often time when they do leave, they often leave in a, in a body bag, or it's not until they... 20 years, uh, they're hit with 20 years in prison or, or 60 years in prison, do they, do they actually realize, no, I really made a mess of my life. Yeah. So when you went into, into the gang and, and became a part of it, did you know what you were doing? Like, did you understand at that time that, that you were going to be doing questionable things? Yeah, I knew what I was doing. Uh, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but it was, it, it was fun. Yeah. And and the, and the gang itself has an a, a law that is extremely strong. Uh, 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 see, understand this. Uh, like um, like I shared uh, uh, with, the, with the parents on ye on yesterday. Uh, not every young man, every young man who grows up without a father, tend to gravitate towards the gang. So that that is not true. Or or, or it's a life of, of violence. Uh, regardless who you are, we all have some emotional needs. We all have some emotional hunger. Some of us find that find fulfilling uh, these emotional hunger in multiple relationships. Uh, what they call guys who are players and so forth go from one woman to the other. Are they about? Some of us find uh, trying to fill this void with materialistic things, the name brand clothing, the Tommy figures of this world, or the latest gadgets and so forth. And some try to fill that uh, this emotional hunger with power, prestige, uh, a sense of feeling important in that regard. In uh, interviewing an individual uh, who was the founding member of the gang and, lead, and the leader of the gang, he goes by the street named Scrooge. And I dub him to be the godfather of street gangs in the Bahamas simply because he took 13 seemingly unpretentious young men and grew them into thousands. In my interview with him, he said to me, one of the things I, always, I often used to say, being a part of a gang is like being a broke millionaire. And that I mean, you can do anything you want. You can have anything you want. And you can get more women than you can ever want. It's like another world you can't see and you can't even imagine. Mm. And so the whole, this whole gang lifestyle, it's once you get into it, it's addictive. Oh, yeah. It's like a drug unto itself because you're doing violent things. And then there's a lot of females, young, uh, young uh, uninformed females. And yeah. truth be told, some females just like that bad boy image. Right. And so you're doing foolishness, and, and you're making you're making money, and then you get girls. I mean, falling all over you, mm -hmm. wanting to get next to you because they know if they are with you, then the respect that you have will also gravitate towards them. People, when they're walking on the streets, people will respect them because of who they because they're taking you. Yeah, well, and speaking from personal experience, I know too that a lot of women 
seek out protection from the people that they're with. Um, mm -hmm. Especially gang members, you know, can sometimes provide that for them. And that's, if that's something that you value highly, that's definitely, you know, you can get wrapped up in it too. <laughs> it's correct. Mm -hmm. So um, do you have, I know that you said, you mentioned that you were working on another book. Do you have um, a timeline for that or, or an ability that if anybody wants to check back in with you or anything that they can, any place they can do that? Yes, I'm working on the process of having uh, my second book edited. I'm trying to uh, pull together the necessary funding that is needed uh, to complete it uh, thereabouts uh, and so forth. The second book, uh, the first book mainly focused on the absence of fathers. The second book is entitled uh, A Mother's Plea uh, because on the night I lost my son, I often talk about uh, the stupidness that I did on or um no am I and I care my scars on the outside, but my mother she cares us on the inside because uh on that particular night I lost myself, my sight. My mother pleaded me several times, uh basically not to go. She didn't know what I was uh, I was up to, but she knew I was up to no good. Uh thereabouts. And she pleaded me several times not to go out. Uh I had and and even on that particular day, uh when I was at work, uh, my boss uh gave me an errand to run and when I got in the vehicle uh, normally when I get in, in the vehicle, I would always change the station to a hip-hop station. And this time I didn't change the station because I was more concentrating on what I was going to be doing that evening. Mm -hmm. And the news came on, and the news was about uh, two young men who shot attempt in, in, in by police officers in an attempted robbery, and one of the young men died. And, and my heart started to beat because I knew what I was about to do that every same evening. And I said to myself, oh, this is not going to happen to me. Got home, my mother's pleading for me not to go out. I, and I looked my mother in her eyes and said, okay, I can wait back in half an hour to 45 minutes. 45 minutes later, I was lying on the ground after being shot four times. And that same young man that I, on the news um, broadcast I heard um, earlier that day, we would meet the, up uh, in Fox Hill Prison in the, in the medical facility in that regard. And so, the, so the, the second book is mainly on how the equipment mothers, uh, basically on how they can better tap into that mother's intuition how they could trust it, lean on it, and particularly in being able to guide uh, and direct their, their children and so forth. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, had your mother ever tried to stop you before? Yeah. She, 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 when I first started doing uh, foolishness, particularly uh, because uh, the first set of crimes I, I, was, I got involved with was, uh, was short breaking. And if I was, to, and there were times I bought a little, uh, a brand new phone home, and she basically kicked me out of the house in that regard. And so she was fine. And then after, after a while, she uh, started going through a hard time, and I started running across the money. And it was, it was, she, when, when she started accepting the money, uh, basically, uh, and then the other stuff started coming as well, uh, basically. And then it got to a point whereby it be, she was, um, she never knew what I was, uh, what was what I was doing, and it became a concern for her. She never could sleep well because she knew I was out there probably doing something that's illegal. And it got to a point where she just, you know, I mean, uh, threw her hand up and said, "Look, like, yeah, this, uh, this is just too much." Because yeah. she, she told me on the night I, I left, and she tried to stop me from going out, and she went to the back porch and she raised her hand up to, the, to heaven and said, "God, when is this boy going to stop? Is it going to be when he's dead? And, and if that's the case, then he's better off dead." Oh, wow. That's crazy. Mm. All right. So do you know, do you have a name for your second book? Yeah, it's entitled 
A Mother's Plea. A Mother's Plea. Okay, perfect. And the first one is The Fight of My Life is Wrapped Up in My Father. They're both wonderful books. They both, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that your second one's going to be just as wonderful as your first, but <laughs> I also <laughs> really appreciated that yours has, you know, is it, it has a lot of um, research backing up exactly what you're saying. Um, That's correct. Yeah, so it's it's fantastic and definitely a good read. I highly recommend. Truly appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved having this conversation, and I hope that we get to have more in the future. Well, the pleasure was all mine.